Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Season 3, Episode 7 of the Average Twilly Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lowe, and uh, this week I had the absolute pleasure of chatting to the Master of Kettlebell Sports, uh, Mr. Finbar Tulin. So Finbar is a three-time world champion, a four-time European champion, a six-time Irish champion. He's a world-class kettlebell sports coach, he's a gym owner, and uh, as you'll be able to tell from this podcast, he's an absolute legend of a bloke. So Finbar has basically dedicated the past decade in becoming the master of his sport. So my aim was to explore how Finbar approaches his eating, training and lifestyle so he can perform with excellence every single day to maximize his true and highest potential. So regardless of the, of the sport you compete in, there's a huge amount of insight and experience shared within this uh, episode that will undoubtedly help you reach that next level. I know I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and I know you will too. So without any further ado, let's get into today's show. Finbar, hope all is well. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate you and your time. Likewise, Chris, thank you. Absolutely awesome. So um, as I kind of introduced many of these podcasts in the same way, like I clearly know who you are, but for the listeners, um, who are you? <laughs> so my name is uh, Finn Bartullin. Um, I'm a strength coach based in Belfast and I'm the proud owner of what I believe is a world-class training facility called Virtue. Um, I originate from the greatest city on the planet, Belfast, again, fast. <laughs> but uh, my my passion for love and for strength and fitness has, has, has stemmed from an earlier childhood and uh, has also um, stemmed through my earlier teens, through my many wins and through my many failures in sport. Uh, I'm currently, as I say, a gym owner. Um, my coaching career in the fitness industry began, began approximately about 10 years or so ago. So I'm in it for about a decade now. Um, during that time, I've Traveled the world, um, gaining achievements and fitness qualifications within the fitness industry, um, and I've been found myself very fortunate to have been coached and mentored by some of the top strength and strength and conditioning coaches on our planet: uh, Dan John, Pavel Tatsalain, uh, Paul McElroy, um, Steve Cotter, Dr. Michael Harlow, uh, to name a few. Uh, as I say, currently I'm now in a very um, fortunate position as a gym owner. Um, virtue. Uh, what, what is Virtue? Virtue is a, uh, in my opinion, again, a world-class uh, training facility that empowers men and women to achieve high levels of strength and endurance effectively and safely, um, specializing in the three key elements, and that's the kettlebell, the barbell, and uh, bodyweight training. Um, Virtue is a private training facility. Um, I coach individual and personal training, but I coach uh, nowadays predominantly via online training. And uh, the people who are coached come from many different backgrounds. You have uh, medical professionals, firefighters, teachers, um, GEA, hurling players. Um, and I also coach um, a lot of top personal trainers um, here in Belfast and all over the world. And I also compete in kettlebell sport, um, which you have obviously helped me with, of course. Um, do you want me to go into a wee bit of background on that, Chris? Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember the first time we sat down and uh, you talked me through what kettlebell sport is. And I was like, <laughs> you do what? Is that, like, <laughs> so yeah, uh, for like an overview, it'd be absolutely incredible because what you do is uh, is absolutely insane. So uh, yeah, general overview of the sport would be incredible. Thank you. So obviously, 
the kettlebell is a piece of fitness equipment um, and it is uh, prim primarily used nowadays for, you know, circuit classes and so forth. Um, but in uh, kettlebell training, we have two primary disciplines. Um, you have one which is hard state kettlebell training, which I say is, you know, widely popular with the everyday athlete and the everyday fitness enthusiast. And then you have gear voice sport kettlebell training, which gear voice sport um, is, um, it's a niche sport. And in my opinion, it's one of the toughest sports on the planet, both physically and mentally. I'm not going to hard style kettlebell training, but what I will, I'll give you a bit of a background in terms of differentiation between the two, um, because each, each discipline has a very unique and different approach and trade-off. So the best way that I like to, uh, or the best analogy that I, that I like to use to differentiate hard style kettlebell training from gear voice sport kettlebell training is to um, differentiate sprinting and jogging. So in hard style technique, um, like sprinting, it's about attempting to recruit uh, muscle and energy to create the most force and output possible for each individual rep. A bit like barbell training, um, where it's all about maximum tension and maximum explosiveness, um, obviously controlled. And then in gear voice sport uh, technique, like jogging, for example, it's about conserving strength, endurance, and energy to go for a longer period of time. Example for, you know, say five to 10 minutes in one set. Um, uh, so gear voice sport kettlebell training, um, it has it has two primary disciplines. Uh, you have a biathlon and a long cycle. So biathlon was, was is the discipline or the event that I have always uh, competed in up until last year, which have changed. But um, biathlon is uh, comprised of um, two events, uh, the double jerk and the kettlebell snatch. So you do a set of jerks, do a set of snatch, and you, your, your reps in both combine a total point score. Um, the second one is long cycle, which is just basically one primary movement, which is combining the kettlebell clean and the kettlebell jerk. Though the biathlon and the long cycle are the two primary disciplines or two primary uh, events. There are many uh, spin-off events that um, many people compete in, like the half marathon, which is 30 minutes nonstop. Um, with, uh, with various range of kettlebell exercises or a full marathon, which is uh, 60 minutes, of course. Then you also have the pentathlon, um, which is the discipline that I currently compete in. Um, the pentathlon is a creation of uh, Valerie Vedarenko, who is basically a living legend of, of the kettlebell sport world. Um, here are the basic mechanics of a kettlebell pentathlon. Um, it's made up of five exercises, uh, and each discipline is performed in a set order. So you have the clean, uh, the clean and press, the jerk, the half snatch, and the push press. Um, each of those disciplines is carried out for six minutes. Uh, multiple hand changes are allowed. And of course, you're not allowed to set the bell down because that would mean you're disqualified. Um, there is a five-minute break after each discipline. Um, and the maximum rep that you can hit per exercise depends on the movement. But ultimately, as you know, with, with kettlebell sport, um, uh, whoever has the highest amount of reps is ultimately deemed a champion. Um, uh, kettlebell sport actually originated from Russia. Um, the best way to explain kettlebell sport or gervoy sport is basically just endurance uh, weightlifting. Um, and it has a competitive kettlebell lifting history and has a long-standing history in, in Russia and many other Eastern European countries. And only recently, maybe the past five, maybe five to 10 years, maybe approximately, it has been starting to be recognized in over much more countries than Eastern European, of course, but it's now recognized in well over 75 countries right across the world, um, but has been most recently popularized 
uh, in the UK, Ireland and America by a handful of world winning, a world title winning uh, athletes who have went to Russia or Eastern European countries and beat them, beat those guys in their own sport. So that's a bit, of, that's a bit of a background, probably long winded, but hopefully it all makes sense. So I think we can really just sum it up as probably one of the toughest uh, sports you can do. <laughs> <laughs> so. Definitely, a few people have said that it's like uh, standing in hell um, and you're facing uh, the devil and Hitler at the same time. <laughs> that's a that's a very nice way of saying it. <laughs> so so obviously um, using weight and it's loss repetitions of a long duration. So what kind of weights would you be using for these different events? So I'll give you a bit of a background in terms of my uh, in terms of my um, like say PRs and what has won me um, some of my world titles. So. For example, in the biathlon, which is uh, double jerk and one arm uh, snatch, well, snatch, one arm, one hand chain. So I have 10 minutes in the jerk, 10 minutes of jerk, double bells to complete as many reps I can without setting the bells down. Um, for example, with I've lifted two 24 kilo kettlebells for my PR is 160 reps in 10 minutes without setting the bells down. Um, it, with a jerk, it's I've done also 228s. 438 reps in uh, 10 minutes for snatch. I've, I have completed um, 215 reps, one hand change. So I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm nearly sure it was like 110, 115 or whatever um, without setting the bell down. So you obviously, and then obviously I have different PRs with 28s and 32s, but you can see that the extent of the, the demand on your body there. Um, but again, most recently I have, uh, ventured into pentathlon um, discipline within Catabell Sport World. And like I said earlier, there are five disciplines there. So you're working essentially with five different weights, six minutes at a time per exercise with a five-minute recovery. So um, with the clean, um, I with the Catabell clean, I compete with a 40 or a 44. With the clean and press, I compete with a uh, anywhere between a 24 to a 28. For the jerk, single arm, it's anywhere between 28 to a 36. Same with a half snatch. Uh, and with the push press, it's anywhere between, say, 24 to um, 30. Um, and like I say, you're working for six minutes at a time with those, with each of those exercises with a five-minute break. So realistically, in one, in one pentathlon event, if you're competing in a competition, you're potentially working with weight under load for about 30, 35 minutes to be um, exact. So you can just imagine, um, like I say, the... The, the demand on your body physically and mentally um, with that amount of time under load. Yeah, absolutely. That is a, a huge physical and mental stress. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously the set duration is, is long. Um, so perhaps people automatically think like, oh, it's just lightweight and stuff. But you actually throw in around 20, 30, sometimes 40 kilos for that duration. Um, so, yeah, the amount of volume you get through is huge. And I know that when we were working together, I was looking at your training schedule. There was a lot of volume in it. So you're conditioned to be able to tolerate those loads come competition, uh, which I'd love to get to uh, in a second. But if you just wind back the clocks, you didn't always do this. I'm right saying you start off doing running more uh, endurance space sports and then transitioned into this side of things. Absolutely. Yes. So from my early, from my, from I was no ways, you know, say it till whatever, as long as I can remember back from, it was about, say, seven or eight years of age, I always played football, um, soccer, um, and Gaelic, right through, um, right through, you know, my early teens, 
And then in the mid late teens, um, I went into cross country and middle distance running and ran competitive uh, middle distance uh, for a club here called Balmoral Harriers for about from a from I was about nineteen till I was about twenty five or so. I always I always ran, of course, but I also um, trained uh, in the gym. I always a huge lover of barbell and kettlebell training just to complement my running. But um, I came from a massive background in terms of running, so I I think that benefited me massively moving into kettlebell sport training because kettlebell sport and running they're very similar in terms of they're quite uh, a lonely. Um, isolated environment so you're you spend a lot of time with your own thoughts as I say but uh, you're always working for an endurance element but um, the transition into kettlebell sport was fairly easy because fairly not not no, easy is relative of course but um, I found it easy because I had that background in ter- and that massive endurance background running uh, coming into um, kettlebell sport but most of my uh, training has always been very much endurance based so um, working for periods of time was never anything that was not uncomfortable so to speak yeah, so, so how do you then transition into kettlebell sports? Like, how do you kind of discover it? And then how do you perhaps start out with it? Okay, so I'll trace back to myself. So around um, dating back to like 2000, and nearly sure 2005, I was only 15 years of age. And my parents bought me my first ever personal training session. So 15 years, 18 years ago approximately, um, 31 now. So uh Hope they got my math right there. But so 2005, my, my, the parents got me a personal training session with a local trainer here, and he introduced me to kettlebell training and barbell training. And on that day, he taught me the uh, kettlebell swing, kettlebell snatch, barbell deadlift, and barbell uh, back squat. And basically, the sum of those four exercises what kind of just was all I utilized for a long period of time through my earlier teens in terms of strength training. But then uh, in 2013, I uh, well, 2011, I got into the fitness industry, and then 2000, around about 2013, I started getting really specific with kettlebell training because I kind of found a love for it, and I um, traveled around the world, kind of certifying in um, the highest qualifications in terms of uh, kettlebell fitness qualifications with Strong First and with Strength Matters and with RKC. They're like the gold standard in terms of kettlebell ed- education. So. Um, I, in 2013, I became one of their certified instructors and from there I just fell in love with it really. Um, but that was obviously primarily using the hard style kettlebell training because at that time it was easier to complement my running. Um, but then in 2015, I kind of had a bit of a crossroads with the running, didn't really know where I was going. Um, had a few, uh, really bad results, which obviously you're aware of working with athletes can really, um, hit you heavily mentally. So um, I had the opportunity to um, work with my current coach or one of my current coaches in terms of Paul McElroy. And he um, he he was probably one of the founders of kettlebell sport and kettlebells in general here in Ireland. And he um, was basically creating the kettlebell team here in Belfast of uh, basically beginners in terms of kettlebell sport and taking them from square one in terms of kettlebell sport training to uh, competing in the World Championships, which was in it, which, which was with any year, so I had the opportunity. I kind of fell, kind of fell, kind of fell on my doorstep, kind of quite naturally. I kind of found myself very lucky, um, in that regard. And then, obviously, I competed for that first year, and then within a year, I came uh, second in the worlds. And it kind of from that from that failure, because <laughs> don't mean to sound really, you know, uh, boisterous or anything, but um, I'm in at the win at all times, very competitive. So. Anything other than first was kind of last. 
Um, you heard of that saying, but that coming second in the words of that team just made me realize that I'm actually quite good at this in a way, but I want to dig deeper into it. So I just threw myself into it. And then the next year, um, that's when I won my first world championships, went to Kazakhstan and uh, became became the became the first Irish man to win the Irish, European and world uh, championships all in one year and all within 18 months of starting Caterpillar sport training. Obviously, there's a big element of my own hard work there, but I wouldn't have got to where I was without the guidance of the people who were around me, um, my coaches and my family and friends and so forth. Yeah, that, that's super interesting to know. That That's awesome. So it was clear that um, a good sort of endurance background, solid endurance base, and then just through weight training to complement the running side of things, you just naturally gravitated to that and... Yeah, end up going to Worlds and uh, winning it. So amazing. So in terms of kettlebell sports then, obviously there's a huge endurance component and a strength component. How would someone, or how do yourself, uh, how do you train for this? So what are the key kind of areas you need to look at? And then how do you then structure your training around that? Just want to kind of set the scene with that so then we know how the nutrition kind of complements that. Yeah, 100%. So... Obviously, when it comes to any form of training, um, in my opinion, there are always three components, uh, technical efficiency, programming ability, and of course, hard work. Um, that sounds very philosophical, but in terms of kettlebell sport, it's, it is a very, very physically and technically demanding um, discipline. So there is an, a massive proponent of being very, very solid technique ways. Um, and obviously the good thing for myself is that I had a baseline level baseline level of knowledge of technique moving into this. So it was quite easy to transition into the sport based on my endurance background. Um, but in terms of uh, my, how do I complement actually competing in terms of my overall training um, background? Right now, anyway, um, as we spoke about earlier, you know, right now I'm in a bit of an off season um, period as the catabell season doesn't really start till, you know, midsummer. Um, um, it has started already, but as I said, uh, I have a few life events that are taking priority right now. So, but I'm actually using this off season as um, a way to help develop my strength and already improve upon the foundation of strength that I already have um, with a barbell um, and ingraining solid technical efficiency and improving upon my endurance with the kettlebell. And then also, as I always say, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So right now I'm working on addressing a few weaknesses or maybe should I say bulletproof my body um, or part bulletproofing parts of my body that take a really heavy hammering through kettlebell tuning, hips, obliques, um, and even my thoracic mobility. Um, so how my training is laid out is usually on a weekly basis, six days per week, uh, three days of kettlebells, three days of barbells. That may sound like a lot, but Chris, as you're aware, um, I've <laughs> I've always trained and I have done for the, I have done that way for five to seven years. Um, I, I don't really ever have any downtime with training. I, I never really take an extended period away from training. I'm always ticking over. I'm always maintaining a baseline level of strength, a baseline level of endurance, obviously relative to my sport. Um, of course, you know yourself. Um, I have deload weeks. I have uh, recovery periods because obviously after you've reached the limit, you either step off or you fall off. <laughs> but um, that's usually... Uh, you can step off um, after a um, competition when they're needed most. But my training has always been consistent. Um, it's always been purposeful um, and it's always been relatively comfortable. Relative being the main word there, to be pretty honest, <laughs> because obviously my relative comfort zone is going to be vastly different than the, than the everyday person. As you 
show really no with my with how long I train for, you know, two hours per day, six days a week. Um, but uh, because of this uh, level of um, strength and this level of baseline technical efficiency endurance that I have, I'm always only ever three to five weeks away from being fully competition ready. So, um, and that long-winded message there. So basically six days a week, uh, three days kettlebell, three days barbell. And my training does last for around about 90 minutes to two hours, all in. That's warm-up included, working sets included, cool down included, um, chocolate milk included. (laughs) 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 WZs. So in terms of the training side then, so the barbell would be perhaps more specific to the strength side of things and then the catball sports sessions looking at more, yeah, the technical side of things. Yeah, so like in in terms of my barbell training, it's very, very specific. Um, uh, There's, well, very, very specific to just improving your strength for for my sport. Um, I back squat, deadlift, a bench press, I do pull-ups, dips, uh, barbell multi-press, not a lot of movement part, not a lot of movement parts, just very, very simple, cut back to the basics because the basics work. In terms of kettlebell sport training, um, it's very, very specific because what I'm competing is in currently is is the pentathlon, which which comprises of the clean, the clean and press, the jerk, the half snatch, and the push press. So my training is very specific on three days based around those five movements. Yeah, how, how do you then? If you'd say like RP for a session, like how would you say they differ? Would you say have then have like your high hard days, your low medium days, and so on? How does that kind of look across the course of the week? The week, so, um, so the three barbell days, uh, like I said, they're they're never. I'm never reaching any sort of limit with my barbell training. To be brutally honest, uh, very rarely. I think, I think I've only ever reached a limit in terms of one rep max once the past five or six years. Uh, my coach is a big, massive uh, proponent of just expanding your comfort zone. Um, he, one of his best quotes is, a workout spent testing the limit is a workout wasted raising it. So we're never really ever testing limits. I'm always working around 70 to maybe even 65 to 80% of my one RM and just really getting better within that rep range. So my, my barbell training is, the, the weights that I'm lifting, intensity ways is very, uh, moderate medium uh late so um where i get the overall intensity from in my barbell chin is from the amount of volume that i do on those three days uh obviously um because you can imagine if you're only doing maybe four or five exercises and you're training for two hours at a time uh the volume is quite a lot um you wouldn't be able to train for that duration if the volume um was heavy so it's always relatively very late in terms of my kettlebell training days um so I always have one like big day towards the end of the week. So my, my last day is always like a, it's always like a medium effort day because it's an endurance sport. You can't actually work to a relative, to a different intensity um, in terms of effort level. So uh, compare my barbell training to my kettlebell training. My barbell training RPE ways is probably about a six, seven or 10 max. Uh, but then when it comes to my, my kettlebell training days, um, they're probably maybe seven or eight. I know that's not a lot, a big difference, but you you, you know um, one RPE on the RPE scale if you're being 100% right with it, it, it can be a difference. But uh, my first day of the week is usually just working on maybe one or two movements. Um, and then the second day is the same, but then the last day I do like a competition style day. Uh, it's not that I'm going to a full limit on those days, um, 
again, referring to the pentathlon of which I'm competing in at the minute, it is five exercises and in, in an actual competition, you'll compete for six minutes um, with a five-minute recovery. But my actual last day of the week may only be, uh, uh, say, four minutes with a two-minute recovery. So I'm always I'm always getting used to that format on the last day of the week. Um, and the training days in between to complement that. The other two category days, they're fairly, they're they're just about technique um, and spending spending a lot of time, obviously, uh, working interval training style. Uh, based on that actual uh, full duration of the pentathlon. Yeah, that, that's really cool. So you got a few like different daily demands there with obviously the biggest day towards the back end of the week where you're putting yeah, everything together. So it's more competition specific stuff. So with that then, obviously different demanding days, different types of training modalities and stuff. How do you fuel that? How do you then prepare your week of food to make sure you're getting the most out of every single session? Okay, so... So I always like to work back. It's the way I've always even programmed as a coach. Um, you always work backwards from something. So what I'm trying to say is I always plan my meals and my eating around when I'm training on that day. So I know exactly when I'm training. I work everything around it. Um, uh, I usually train around about 2 p.m. every day. Um, and as I just said there, as my training output every day is quite high and intense, um, and there is a lot of phys- physical output involved. Um, I'm basically a carbohydrate machine. <laughs> so um, the training, again, I, because it usually lasts around 80 minutes to two hours all in. Um, and also one other point to uh, make aware is that as I'm a coach, I do spend a fair amount of time on my feet every day. So that factors into my daily nutrition. So in terms of my training day, as I work back from, say, 2 p.m. Um, or work around that, should I say, uh, get up in the morning time, uh, I consume water, have a coffee, and then um, I have my overnight oats, recipe courtesy of yourself, courtesy of yourself, of course. Um, I also have uh, this breakfast, say, around about 10 a.m., so it's around, so it's usually about 4, say, 4 to 5 hours before training, basically. So this is like my big carb made before training, uh, again, 4 to 5 hours or so. Then mid-afternoon, um, I would have um, a snack, Maybe around say, say twelve anywhere between twelve and say twelve twelve thirty. That'll be basically something like a something like a piece of fruit, um, or, uh, pieces of fruit, rice cakes, rice crispy square bars, um, and then training kicks off around about two o'clock. And during training, I have uh, Fatargo, which is basically like you know a very easy, easily digestible high carb drink um, to fuel the demands, obviously. Uh, and then post training. I have, that's where I have, you know, my big meal, high in carbs and proteins. Um, my favorite meal, believe it or not, uh, well, you, you will believe it because you, I'm assuming you've had it. My favorite meal from our plan, from us working together, Chris, is the is the chicken and avocado salsa jacket. Um, I've, I have that a few times throughout the week, that's for sure. <laughs> and then um, I usually have that meal around about an hour after training or so forth. Um, and then, of course, at nighttime, uh, at nighttime, I have my high high carb high protein dinner again and that's 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 basically like fueling for the next session because that's one thing i learned from you chris was you're eating to recover from training but you're also eating to fuel for the next day's training um uh and then uh let's say compare it against a rest day um eating on 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 obviously a rest day is a lot different than than an actual training day um because obviously the demands 
on your on carbohydrates on as high, should I say. So I don't really have a high carb breakfast that morning. Um, I usually don't need it because I'm not fueling any type of intense workout, so to say. So um, and you've had me substitute that a high carb breakfast with a high protein vegetable omelet, and that's and that's usually a go-to for me on those days. I might even add in some bacon or some meat, but usually high protein, colorful veg, um, is always the go-to on on, on those uh, rest days. Yeah, perfect. So the big kind of key things there is, yes, fueling for the work required different amounts of carbohydrates. You have that carbohydrate-periodization. But I really like the, the fact that you're so aware of what you eat after a session or in the hours after a session is actually preparing you for the next day again. And if you think of working backwards, your kind of big key session is back end of the week. So what you eat on like a Monday, Tuesday, in terms of your fueling and your ability to recover is going to affect you come back into the week yes exactly that was the, uh, that was one big thing i learned from you was i always over my years of training always had a big as you say it always back ended towards the end of the week i always had a big session but i always started really well with nutrition during the start of the week and then kind of like it just kind of fell off which fell off in terms of my performance levels as well so i now i start really well but also finish really well so it was changing that understanding and that level of know-how um, because even though I knew what I had to do in terms of my training it wasn't matched with my lack of knowledge in terms of nutrition that was one that was another big reason why I reached out to you like you said you are a carbohydrate machine aren't you when you train <laughs> um, and sometimes it's almost like knowing how much carbohydrate you can not necessarily get away with but how much you actually need to fuel that demand so people will kind of understand like, okay, carbs are important. I'm going to have, I don't know, a rice cake or some fruit or something like that. But they probably can't contextualize how much they actually need uh, to support that. And I know for myself, like we put in a lot of carbohydrates in those sort of big performance days and obviously carbohydrates during the session as well in terms of the carbohydrate drink. And so they're absolutely key. And what I really like as well is that you have like a big carb heavy breakfast, kind of four or five hours pre, and then a little topper beforehand. So you're not going to start first session um, with loads of food in your stomach, because obviously that's not going to help with the fueling, because if all the food is still in your gut, it's not in the muscles where it perhaps needs to be. And uh, you're probably just going to feel sick as well, especially with the way that, that you train, that very sort of lifelifted nature of training, but for sure. 100%. Um, no, all makes sense, Chris. So in, in terms of like, obviously recovery is a huge thing and how much carbohydrate you have in the muscle is huge. What do you typically do from the protein side of things? Do you focus on getting adequate amounts of protein with each meal to support muscle protein synthesis? Like, do you take uh, accounts and consideration for that? I do, yes. And that was, again, one big thing that I learned from yourself was I think I came into our training together a wee bit too protein dominant. Um, uh, again, massively uneducated. Uh, I'm not afraid to admit that. Um, and I didn't really realize how much carbs I did need in terms of um, to meet my, my meet, meet the demands of my sport. But in terms of proteins, obviously, the one thing that um, you always said was uh, to aim to try and make sure you're getting some sort of adequate protein with, almost with each meal. Um, again, it changes, obviously, on a competition day, um, which I'm assuming we'll go into. But uh, with... Um, Protein, obviously, one thing that we you always kind of told me to use it for was predominantly muscle recovery and obviously to keep up muscle protein synthesis. So I never really ate 
ate. I never really eaten or, or ate that, that amount of protein, to be fair. So I was always kind of like backlogging my, my protein towards the end of the day. And it was no wonder why I was always kind of feeling probably quite um, uh, broken down and quite sore. So the big one big lesson I learned from you was actually making sure I'm eating consistently with protein almost right every single meal, almost throughout the day. Um, so that was a big thing for me. Obviously, you know, you know, uh, you were trying to force that in with obviously not trying to force it, but you were trying to really you were a huge proponent of trying to get that through um, actual real food, but. Um, especially after training. But the one thing that I have found, and though maybe you can crack me if I'm wrong here, but I can't eat anything solid protein-wise um, before I train because it's a wee bit harder for me to, to digest. So I always found the protein powders were uh, easier for me to, to digest, especially in overnight oats, um, and they also taste better. But uh, afterwards, in terms of like meat with protein, um, uh, solid protein-based, I always got that in after training. Um, where before, like I said, before we worked together, I actually didn't eat little to no protein. I, I, I didn't really have much protein beforehand, which was probably explains why I was always getting quite lethargic and quite, uh, well, one reason anyway, why I was going to always going in quite lethargic and quite uh, hungry. Um, but supplement-wise, you know, uh, f- for us working together, um, uh, the Changed my outlook on these massively. Um, if you don't mind me getting into this, but uh, very simple, you know, the the supplements that I would use would be predominantly protein powders, uh, creatine. Um, you know, the, everybody knows the recovery and performance benefits of that. Uh, for, for Targo as an indoor workout, um, you could also say caffeine. Um, but I'm a huge coffee lover, and I don't really use it for daily performance. Um, maybe except for an espresso prior to a big competition set that you have prescribed. But um, when it comes to health-related supplements, I always utilize what you called um, in our supplement overview the golden three, um, which kind of blew my mind away. How simple it was uh, whey protein, vitamin D, and fish oils, and so. I don't use a lot. I don't really utilize a lot of supplements. I know they sound like a lot of supplements, but as you, again, one thing that you always made me aware of was that supplements are there, supplements are there to supplement. They're not there to substitute. So I always try to get things from actual real foods. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that is really cool. Uh, just take uh, one or two steps back. Uh, from the protein side of it, it makes absolute uh, 100%, 100% sense. If you're having like a solid source of protein right before you train, we know that any form of meat or something like that is going to be very hard to digest and it's going to delay gastric emptying and it's just going to sit in your gut and you're going to feel pretty awful. So having your scoop away protein or whatever protein powder within overnight oats, mixing up, that is that is absolutely perfect. Just on the appetite side of things, what's your appetite like immediately after sessions? Because I know quite a lot of people, as soon as they do like a very hard session or competition, their appetite is in, like very, very suppressed. So is yours suppressed? And if it is, how do you get around it? Is there anything you look at uh, surrounding this? Good question. Um, again, I think that's very, I think that question is very relative to a specific person because as you say, some people may be quite, surp- their, their appetite may be suppressed and some people may be completely rampant with hunger <laughs> after something that's really high intense. But uh, immediately after um, a training, again, because I'm consuming an interworker carbohydrate that is usually around about 80, about 80 Gs of carbohydrates throughout the training session, um, I'm never really that hungry after training. Um, however, I think that's probably due to because I'm constantly going. But then whenever you almost come to a complete standstill after you finish training, you've got a shower, you've chilled out, you've relaxed within 30 minutes later, 
I can eat the lamb of God, to be honest. So that's kind of whenever I'm starting to become a wee bit more hungry. But immediately after training, um, if, it, if it was to consume anything, it would be usually um, some form of like uh, milk or chocolate milk, because I'm a huge fan of that, or something very, very quick, like a piece of fruit, maybe a uh, banana or something that's easy, easy, easily digestible um, or easy digested, should I say. And, and then I would always get my main big meal after again see to be honest Chris I'm going to contradict myself here as well because some most most times I would be like that in terms of um I would just kind of hold true to what it says there but some days um I may I may need something almost instantly because I may be quite uh uh um you would have quite shaky or you'd be quite uh run down as such after your training session so again that would maybe be the only time that that would ever happen is if my training sessions were have to kind of change in terms of time. Um, if I will, if that was to change time, it would usually be um, later on the night around about, uh, say, you know, 6.37 after I finish coaching. Um, by that stage, uh, I haven't probably had much meal and that's probably down to my own lack of preparation in that regard. So uh, I've kind of contradicted myself there, but 90 percent at the time, I do just follow um, the very simple guidelines. It's very, something very... Something very um, uh, solid within 30 minutes to an hour after but if I do need something that's usually something that's kind of very easy to drink and very easy to eat afterwards if I do feel um, that I need it yeah 100% so even if like you have to adapt and pivot the plan of action you still got exactly. something that there is a, an option B uh, which as we know is uh, is going to be milk which is incredible flavoured <laughs> or, or normal so that's cool only 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 blue milk only blue milk or uh, chocolate milk um, uh, Paul drink semi-skimmed and I haven't tortured over it. Not that I'm against anybody who drinks semi-skimmed. Well, Kenny, I am, but I will leave up an order. <laughs> <laughs> gram for gram, less anabolic. Uh, put it that way. <laughs> so, uh, cool. Uh, one of the things you mentioned as well, like you're a big kind of coffee lover, which I know, um, but you don't have that over-reliance of caffeine is more there to drink for joy and pleasure and stuff. Like I know a lot of lads will actually hammer sort of pre-workouts like two, three, 400 milligrams of caffeine to get themselves up for a session. And I typically don't advocate caffeine supplementation throughout the training week because if you have to have a high dose caffeine supplement to get up for a training session, it probably highlights some kind of inadequacies or deficiencies somewhere along the way. Like how's your sleep? How's your carbohydrate intake? Are you hydrated? That kind of stuff. And then when we get into competition itself, that's when we can go for the high dose caffeine supplementation just to make sure I have things on point. Um, so in terms of like your training week, then we could obviously got an opportunity to look at body composition changes, either increase in muscle mass, drop fat mass and so on. What's your specific goals around in that at the moment and in relation to your weight category? So, well, the good thing about this is, Chris, is, well, the good thing about the pentathlon is that the weight categories aren't as vast as they were whenever I competed in, in biathlon. So put things in the context. Whenever um, I was competing in biathlon, uh, I competed in the weight category uh, 70 to 74. Um, so the weight categories were, um, well, they could end a long window, but they were uh, 60, 66 to 70, 60, 65 to 69, 70 to 74, and then um, 75 to 78 or whatever. And then, you know, you know where I'm going. They were kind of quite, quite, they were quite close to each other. Um, which obviously at that time, there was, a, there was a need to be very careful with where my weight was um, and to 
uh, be very careful with what you're eating relative closer to the time. Obviously, when it came to obviously having to maybe potentially cut weight for the uh, scales. Um, but now, because I compete in pentathlon, um, the weight categories aren't as as um, they aren't as close. They're quite dispersed, to be honest. So I compete in a weight category of between 75 and 85. So right now I'm sitting right bang in the middle of the two of those, and that's 80 kg. So uh, body composition ways in terms of trying to lose weight or trying to put weight on, um, I'm just trying to really basically maintain the baseline level of uh, weight that I have right now. Um, with my training, with my output, and with alongside me eating, I do feel I do feel that I've hit a bit of a um, good maintenance level. Uh, but again, as you've always said, it's about maybe potentially uh, there is a bit of leeway for going off plan. You know, there may be some days where I have stuck to the, the nutrition plan and the training plan to a T, but then it gets to maybe later on in the night, maybe around eight pm, and I'm still very very hungry. Um, and that's probably an indicator that I may need something to eat maybe or uh, I maybe just didn't recover quick enough or or uh, as good enough for my previous, for my sessions for that day. So I will venture off plan now and then um, just to kind of aid that. But uh, to cut the long story short, basically, there is no real need for me right now to cut a weight or anything. So I'm just kind of very, I'm maintaining a very, very good baseline level of uh nutrition, training, and body weight. Yeah, I really like what you said there. Like, you just auto-regulate at the back end of the day. It's kind of, I guess, sometimes like your training. Like, you you have, like, a general structure and uh, plan of action, but if something's not quite right and you need to auto-regulate and adjust, then that's cool. Same with our nutrition plans. We roughly know how much we need on a day based on that demand. But sometimes, like, you might just need a little bit less or a little bit more based on how you're actually feeling. So it's not being so strict so you can be flexible with these guidelines like 100 and i think some people are perhaps a little bit scared to kind of feel off track like if they have 20 grams more than it should be like their life just goes to shit and they're like oh what a waste of a day um so just well, having that freedom there is really important. but but uh, sorry dr chris but i think that is part and parcel to actually being quite communicative uh if you're working with you because um as you say people whenever they join something like yourself or follow a plan of some kind, they will always follow it religiously. Well, you should anyway, but um, <laughs> but you'll always, like what I had done, I followed it religiously for, uh, say, two to three weeks. But then, obviously, after two to three weeks, your body starts to become adaptive or adapted to the stimulus or what you're doing to it, basically. So it was around that time where I was starting to go, right, Chris, I feel like I'm starving here, even after everything that we've eaten. And that was um, me communicating with you and you were you were telling me right that's no problem you know if you need to kind of add an extra bit of carbohydrates in here there and everywhere by all means do so because um your body's obviously telling you something so again i think the big thing is obviously communicating with with you in terms of the plan that you have laid out uh and then because ultimately it's not like you're gonna it's not like because some people may be afraid to communicate with you i don't know if maybe you feel this way but or maybe are afraid to communicate with a coach because they may feel that they're maybe uh <laughs> um questioning what they're doing but ultimately we always say keep communicating because we need to kind of um uh, know exactly how you're feeling and what your body's doing so we can get the, so we can actually um do what's right for you and get the best out of your performance basically 100 like if we same with you like with your uh with your guys as well like if we don't know then we can't help you if you don't speak up then by default we're just going to assume everything's well you know <laughs> so the communication is is so so important 
Uh, for sure. Yeah, it's a really solid point. And just going to the competition side of things, I'm making weight and stuff. You're in like a really solid position now. Like it's a huge weight category, 75 to 85. So is there pros and cons then, do you feel, for your sport in particular, if you would say like, right, I'm going to cut down to 75 or right, I'm going to go up to 85. Is there pros and cons going to either end for you specifically? Absolutely. In terms of performance levels, um, without doubt. Uh, obviously, as I'm eating kilo right now, if I, was to, if I was to cut weight and lose weight and maybe go down to 75, I probably wouldn't have the um, strength capacity to lift the weight that I currently lift. And then if I was to go... Um, maybe uh, heavier, maybe go to 85. Uh, I don't think I would carry 85 very well at my height of 5'7", um, unless, unless I was just trying to get completely buff. <laughs> but for an endurance sport, um, that is quite dynamic and uh, again, quite enduring and quite long. Me being 85 kg is going to be massively detrimental to my cardiovascular endurance uh, or my endurance in general. Um and my my ability to um, withstand pain and and um, to have muscular endurance for a longer period of time. So I think with my weight category right now, I'm in a very good position because you'll get guys who are maybe 90 kg and cut down, but that's obviously going to that that's obviously going to be possibly detrimental to their ability because they're going to have to cut five five kg, for example. Or you may get guys who are maybe um, from maybe 74 or 75, the lower end of the scale, where they can't necessarily lift that much heavier or lift um, heavy weights. So this is probably one of the beauties of the pentathlon is that um, because you're, because I'm, I feel I'm in the 80, I feel I've hit the nail on the head with exactly with my good weight because 80 kg, and I think I've made it clear what, what would what would happen if I went to 75 or what, what would happen if I went to 85. Um, and the reason I'm saying that is because I found, a, I found a right balance and it's very good for the sport because it's very specific to the sport. Because in the pentathlon, you have five different uh, exercises, but you're allowed to use five different weights. And each discipline or each exercise has a different demand, so to speak. Um, but it's also beneficial to your points total because uh, the heavier you go in the actual kettlebell weight, the more points you get per repetition. So, um, for example, if I use a 40 kg kettlebell, for every one rep that I complete, I'll get four points uh, or approximately four points or compare that to uh, a 24 kg for every one rep that I'll do with a 24 kg, I may only get like 2.5 points. So it's actually beneficial to be a wee touch heavier in this uh, in this sport because ultimately the more heavier relatively weighs and the more stronger you are, the heavier weight that you can lift. So with every, um, so it's with the pentathlon, the heavier I go in terms of weights, the more points I get. And obviously the more points you get, you're going to win so um and like i said if i was 75 i'd probably be i probably wouldn't be able to manage the weights that i'm managing right now if i was heavier i probably wouldn't be able to manage the weights i have right now for a long period of time yeah makes complete sense so for someone just getting into the sport then how would they find their weight class if they rocked up and they're like 83 kilos is like right do i need to get down to 80 do i need to explore like what would you say like if they obviously not on like a world level not that standard, but they're just trying to find the feet. What would you kind of suggest them? I think what you just says there, um, you said you said two points are that I would definitely recommend, and that's just explore and find your feet. Because um, I think whenever people enter into any sport, 
you can you can probably agree with me here, Chris, but I think they go into it too deeply. Um, and they probably think they're probably not run them down, but they probably think they probably think they're ahead of where they actually are currently. So what I'm trying to say is, is just get into the sport, enjoy it, find your feet, find what works best, get used to uh training with the actual uh sport or the actual discipline that you're competing in and get better at it. If there is maybe uh, a good potential there for you to become even more better at the sport, um, and it may it may be determined on what weight category you're in. Then, after maybe a long period of time, say six to twelve months of actually getting good at the sport, then you start to kind of venture in in around weight categories. In my opinion, um, because again, I think the biggest again the last thing you want to do is complicate things in terms of getting good at a sport. Um, and as I always say, the biggest for, for, for beginners especially, um, because they're always kind of looking for the golden ticket or they're always looking for the next best thing <laughs> since sliced bread. Um, and ultimately, just by focusing on the basics in terms of nutrition, in terms of uh, the actual sport itself, is going to be vastly superior than anything they're going to do differently, aside from that. Um, and as you know, the, be- the best of the best, because they're better at the basics than everybody else. Uh, and then um, people and people who are beginners in general, um, their the biggest weakness for them is developing is them themselves because ultimately they are the weakness and how they are going to get better at the sport is by doing the sport itself for a period of time and then if they want to get become a wee bit more complex and kind of venture off by all means if you're good enough do it then yeah it makes complete sense 100 they almost go in too deep be too specific and then miss the force for the trees type stuff yes uh, so it makes complete sense and a key thing you said there, which I'm glad you said, is that consistency side of things to get really good at your sport. Like, you know, you're in off-season now and you're still training six days a week. You know, yeah. a lot of people just would be perhaps not training six days a week. Obviously, you said you got the recovery in there, the deloads and all that kind of stuff, which is definitely needed. But, you know, you're still doing your sport year-round. You're getting better at it year-round. You're always working on something year-round. And it's just consistency with it. So it's, it's absolutely key. You know, just kind of get into the top and then like, oh, get complacent, put your feet up and chill out. 100%. So looking into sort of competitions now, how do you best prepare for that? Um, So say the last kind of four weeks going into a competition and then on the day itself through from weighing and getting into the actual events. Okay. So obviously, like I said earlier, um, because... Because I always uh, train, you know, year round, uh, and I'm always uh, training year round. Um, because of this consistent training pattern and the fact that I always train, I'm always usually three to five weeks away max from being fully competition ready. That's whenever you're starting to kind of peak, or whenever my coaches will start be being a wee bit more uh, specific and a wee bit more intense. So. Um, where there's no, re- there's never really a big massive ramp up in terms of uh, actual training itself. Um, what's that? You know, John Kavanagh, you no know, Conor McGregor's coach. One of his greatest quotes was, uh, or maybe it was McGregor. He says, uh, "Stay ready, so you don't have to get ready." Um, I think that is an amazing uh, quote. But uh, in terms of like preparing for competitions, um, in terms of nutrition side of things, uh, at night, I must admit. Before working with you, Chris, this is where I was completely amateur when it came to knowing nutrition protocols. I had the coaches and my own ability when it came to actual 
training protocols and actual uh, competition state protocols, but nutrition was completely over my head. Um, uh, I didn't I didn't really know the crack nutrition protocols, the crack structure, or even the right type of food to use um, in order to enhance my ability and to get the best out of performance on the day. Um, I always I always I always trained well and I always competed very well. Um, uh, and obviously the titles and the medals are there to prove that. But I just knew that I was missing something. There wasn't something that was basically allowing me to express more of an effort that that I believed I had. Um, because again, I trained really really well, but there was just something that was missing. Um, so after I compete, um, I always I always assess uh, what are what are the weaknesses, what are the gaps, where could I have done better. Um, one of the best quotes that I heard, I've heard from Dallin John is uh, plan, the, uh, plan the hunt, hunt, assess the hunt. And he, he says that basically too many people plan the hunt and they don't hunt or, or, have, or have the hunt there to assess. So again, I always assess things. Um, and time and time again, after assessing my uh, overall training regime from post-competition, nutrition was always... Uh, Nutrition on the week and on the day off competition was always something that I had written down that was an axe to it. I didn't, I wasn't getting it right. And to be honest, this was, to be honest, Chris, this is actually the main reason why I got in touch with you at the start. Uh, and was really the, it was only the real goal. I knew with your help and with your guidance, I was going to get um, improvements in other areas of nutrition and nutrition ways. But um, itself, alone, the competition, nutrition protocols that you prescribed were, 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 where everything was were worth more than that. everything that I invested. It was a complete game changer. But um, the week of the competition, obviously, because your uh, your output should be relatively lower because your training has all been done. Um, the week of the competition, you're just obviously in, in terms of training ways, you're keeping things sharp. You're not really training with any real ex- ex- intent because that's all been done. You're just keeping the movements open and, stay, and staying sharp that way. Um, but the week off, uh, in terms of Nutrition ways because I am not cutting for anything. Um, one thing that you learned, you taught with me was that just keep your nutrition the same as if it was a training week. Where because I'm the type of person is that if I don't train, I don't eat quite randomly. But and because my training is is always in a in a competition week, take a downward spiral before the weekend. Actually, because I always keep competing the weekend, I never really um, uh, had much nutrition or I didn't really eat very well the week off a competition so I was always kind of going into competition quite depleted so um, the big thing for you and it was like it was almost so um, it was almost like so easy to start, it was, it's always been staring me in the face um, because if I just even you just say it's basically go and eat as if it was a normal training week your body is so adapted to the stimulus and it's, it's metabolizing things so quickly that you'll it'll make no difference um, so I always weigh in the night before. Um, right now, currently, uh, I do. Um, I don't really. I don't even need to strip down when I'm weighing. To be when I'm getting weighed in, to be honest, because I think I'm about seven. I think I'm about seven eight point five kilo without clothes on. Um, <laughs> but uh, but so I don't really. I don't really. I don't really need to weigh in that much. So, um, but the night the night before competing, um, you you've always told me just to get get the carbs in. You know, fill in carb stores up. Um, and at this stage, um, at this stage, the night before competition, you're eating and you're fueling to perform basically. Uh, so the night before, high protein, high carb, high carbs, uh, moderate protein, um, very little fats. Uh, just getting you're just you're just 
is you, I think I remember one of the things that you said to me was just get the carbs on board. Your body's going to utilize it. Um, you're expressing an effort. You're going to, you're going to, um, definitely utilize all the carbs you give, you, you give it basically with a day, with a day of competing again, uh, similar to the training days, I would base my, uh, nutrition backwards from the time which I compete. Uh, and when I wake up that morning, so usually when I compete, um, well, it has been the past number of years, it's usually around about 3 PM. Um, and I, Usually, always wake up around seven thirty to eight a.m. Um, I always get good eight to nine hours sleep. So basically, from the time I wake up to the time I compete, there's usually a window there of about seven hours to consume any type of good quality food to have to aid performance. Um, so, John, you go into a bit of detail on what I would normally consume on that day, Chris. Yeah, if you can kind of outline what you used to do and then what you do now, just on the on the day itself, that'd be great. Okay, so prior prior to working with you, I would usually have grazed on a few snacks, fruit, etc. throughout that seven-hour window. Um, and I'm not exaggerating there, but literally, um, I would have got in the morning time, had a glass, had drank plenty of water, obviously throughout the course of the morning, uh, had a coffee or maybe a couple of coffees, maybe, and then grazed on pieces of fruit like bananas or maybe even uh, rice cakes. And uh, there's no exaggeration there. There wouldn't have really been any substantial meal on that day, which wasn't great. It wasn't even it wasn't even decent at best, and um, you shouldn't be if you're competing at a high level. Decent just doesn't cut it. Um, and thankfully, obviously, thankfully with your help, that has changed and has and has definitely um, is definitely allowing me to express my full potential on the platform. So what I'm doing now is basically getting up in the morning time, high carb breakfast. It could be oats, fruit, rice krispies, rice krispie bars, um, beetroot juice. For those nitrates, as you say, <laughs> um, that's a high carb breakfast, of course. Then I have another carb up, a carb top up around maybe one and a half hours to two, maybe two hours before competing. That could be uh, banana. Um, again, a few more rice crispy bars, rice cakes. Um, even um, sipping on sipping on that Fatago, sipping on that energy drink, um, caffeine chewing gum, which I didn't even know existed until I started working with you. Uh, and then uh, one the one the one beauty about the pentathlon is obviously with those five minute intervals between sets um, during that, I actually, obviously in those five minute intervals, I would consume some for Targo or that, or that carbohydrate drink because it's, it's easy to drink, obviously. And I would also uh, consume some like form of Haribo or jelly babies, et cetera. So that's kind of like during it uh, before and during compared to previously. There's, I would say the, 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 the volume of food, it's not a lot, you know, when people say volume, they always think it's loads and loads, but, um, it is compared to what I was eating before, but it's just the right amount. Uh, and I actually remember our first competition whenever I trialed this out with yourself, it was a bit, it was a bit daunting because if you're used to kind of, um, you know yourself on a day of a competition with the athletes who you work with, the day of a competition could be quite psychological. It, it, it's very psychological. All you're thinking about is to get to put yourself in the best position possible. And if you're used to doing that in a certain way, you're all changing to something different can almost be quite daunting and quite like, whoa, is this going to be detrimental to my performance? But that's, again, you just have to put yourself in your hands uh, and, and trust 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 your knowledge and trust your, your expert knowledge and your expert guidance in that regard in terms of getting it right. And again, if uh, if it doesn't work out, it's not like it's a failure. Um, again, I'm not sounding philosophical, but failure, first act in learning. You learn from it, you re rejig, you redevelop, and then you kind of go again and try it again. Um, but 
to be honest, whenever I tried, whenever I trialed that for our first team, I just felt different benefits right away. Felt more energetic, felt more alay, felt more alert, felt like I could actually go for longer, felt like it actually was more sharper. Um, again, obviously, training is a massive part of that. Um, and of course, when you train consistently, you're going to have a baseline level of strength and fitness. But to be able to express efforts consistently for a long period of time, uh, the fuel and the, the nutrition strategies that you had me use was a massive aid to this. Um, and uh, I'll quote you here. I'll quote you here. I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong with this, but um, if you're at peak fitness and you're not able to perform in a day, it's your nutrition. Did I, did I get that right? Yeah, pretty close. Pretty close. <laughs> so, so the whole idea is like, if you know your, I didn't even know my own quote, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> Now, the whole idea is to be able to start anything both physically and mentally strong and then maintain physical and mental work capacity first. If you're dropping off and fading towards the end, if you're like bonking, then it most likely is going to be your nutrition if you know you're fit enough. Like with the amount of training you do, like you're strong enough and you're fit enough to do this. Like if there is dips in performance, we can definitely highlight there. And it's just quite interesting. Like I see this in a lot of sports, whether it's like team-based sports, endurance sports, um, you know, all combat-based sports, like their hardest, sorry to say, or the most physical stress on the body is when they compete and that's yes. when they end up eating the less. Yes. So it's so like paradoxical, it's like, it doesn't really make sense. We're on a normal training day where they're probably hitting maybe 80% of the demands of competition. They're feeling really well for it, they're eating well. When it comes to the competition itself, though, it's like, well, I'm, I'm just not going to eat today. And it's, it's absolutely crazy. Um, is that, do you think, perhaps nerves associated with that? Uh, what, what do you think uh, perhaps affected you in terms of your ability to eat food beforehand? I think you could probably be hitting the nail on the head there with that, Chris, in terms of nerves. Um, I rarely, I don't get nervous in training and I don't really get nervous until maybe the actual day of a competition. Now, obviously, through experience, I've learned how to control that, but... Um, it, maybe to begin with I probably could have been nurse uh, and I've just kind of get in the habit of kind of following that trend even whenever becoming a lot more experienced uh, and because of my com competition is a wee bit later in the day um, I felt like if I could graze and go in maybe feeling a wee bit later I would have felt better again I, I, I was successful with what I had done but I just knew that I wasn't as successful as my training and my ability uh, had had the potential to show. So you could say nerves. Um, you could say lack of preparation. You could also say lack of direction, <laughs> lack of knowledge, um, lack of education. Um, and I kind of look back on all of those years and go to myself, if I had I had maybe a better ounce, an ounce of the knowledge that I have now from yourself, um, you know, I probably would have been in a much better place. But, you know, you know what's for you won't go past you in that regard. But, in terms of uh, the day, I probably would have said nerves, but now it's just about just trusting what the process has laid out um, in terms of what is required to hit certain uh, quotas of carbs and so forth on that day relative to the time when I'm competing. And just trusting it and, and going with it. Um, and at the end of the day, Chris, you know yourself, sport is unhealthy. And what I mean by this is, is that um, people try to make it too healthy on the day of competition. Because they are not, because they're almost afraid to express an effort. Um, where in your case, what you said to me there was is that obviously uh, you're competing at a certain time, and there that's whenever you're at your high intense 
output levels in terms of your sport, but they don't meet the, the, the but they don't meet their food or they don't match their food with that. That was my big missing link, basically. Yeah, like I, I think in terms of like the perhaps the nerves and the lack of appetite beforehand, sometimes you just need that like confidence. Someone say like, right, eat this much and you'll be fine. Exactly. And yes. then like, okay, I, I'll be fine. Uh, but then you won't know until you actually go out and, and try and stuff as well. So, and then like I said, it's a case of like, we either win or we lose, we, we don't lose, you know? So yeah. it's a case of like, right, trial it, figure out what works, what doesn't work, where like we dislike, and then we build on top of that. And we've got that platform to build from. But, you know, we're not trialing this in, like, worlds. It's like, right, we're trialing, like, uh, a small competition or in training and then build up so you have that same level of familiar familiarity there for sure. Um, so it's the last absolutely cool. So just kind of coming up on a time here uh, that hour has actually flown by. So um, a question to leave you with. So what are the main changes, um, or shall we say, what advice would you give a young Finbar? who's just starting out in kettlebell sports. Mm, right. Um, <laughs> is that two questions or one? Don't me, me answer the question in terms of what changes have I made. Just answer everything. I get you 100%, yes. So in terms of the overall changes, you know, eating more, eating better, eating a lot more consistent, being a lot more strategic and purposeful with my nutrition. Um, again, the accountability side of things, I always follow the daily and weekly plan that you have laid out for me. Um, I, basically, what I see that as is like a roadmap or GPS for eating on a daily basis, just the way my just the way my coaches send me across my programs. Um, the same program that you have given me, I follow it just exactly to the T. Um, it's hard to go wrong when that um, it's hard to go wrong with what you've given me. It's bulletproof. Again, if you have the kind of venture off plan, so be it. But um, if, if I am feeling a wee touch more hungry or feeling that, that energy is dipping, I'm not afraid to consume more food as ultimately it's going to enhance my performance. Um, but uh, what I didn't have prior to working with you was knowledge, guidance, accountability, education. And, and obviously with your help, that is that has obviously changed um, and has, has had a massive positive impact on my, on my daily nutrition and everyday lifestyle. Um, it's strange, it's strange saying that and, and being quite philosophical about food in that way. But food is a very, very, very powerful aid for health and performance. But only if you have that knowledge and if you have that guidance and if you have that accountability. Um, so what would, what advice would I give myself um, just starting out? Uh, keep sticking and, and trusting the basics. Uh, the basics work. Um, and again, like I said earlier, Chris, the best of the best because they're better at the basics than everybody else. Simple as that. And that goes for training, for nutrition, and also for for life. Again, I don't mean to say philosophical, but maybe the last point that we probably like to make in terms of that is, um, what advice would I give myself is that, um, and this probably can be advice for anybody, but only seek and take advice from people who are in a position to give it. Um, right now, currently, uh, there is an abundance of confusion in our modern era almost too much information, especially when we're seeking to build our strength, our, our overall fitness, overall health, or to improve upon our nutrition. Um, you know what it's like out there, Chris. Everything is polluted by commercialism. Everything's being promoted like the best thing since nice bread. And the one question is, how does, 
how does the modern man or woman <laughs> uh, separate the true and valuable from the frozen and incompetent? Um, and in my opinion, the best way to deal with this is to glean information from people like yourself who walk the walk and who talk the talk. Um, people who genuinely eat, sleep and breathe what they do and, and people and coaches who have had and continue to have continued uh, success and results over a wide uh, span of time. So, yes, keep stick, keep trusting and sticking to the basics and only seek and take advice from people who are in a position to give it. Very, very solid. No, that, that's absolutely awesome. So I just want to say a huge thank you for coming on the podcast today. It is uh, absolutely awesome. So for uh, people to either get in touch or follow you and see what you're up to, uh, how can they do that and where can they find you? No, Chris, firstly, I just want to say a huge thank you for inviting me on yet and uh, hopefully um, people take some information from it and uh, keep doing what you're doing, mate. Everything, you're, you're, you're keeping our lit, you're doing well. Um, and in terms of finding me, um, what the old hipsters say now is uh, Instagram handle. <laughs> uh, uh, my, virtue, um, my, my, my virtue page is virtue, Bel- virtue Jim Belfast on Instagram and then my own personal page, which I'm, more, which I'm on more, is uh, just Finn Bartulin, basically. Absolutely awesome. So guys, go and uh, check Finbar out and uh, thank you very much for your time to listen to today's show.